I'm delighted to announce that the National Association for Primary Education has exclusively released a video from its Primary Education Summit, Visions for the Future. This video, recorded by me, Mark Taylor, and Al Kingsley, talks about creating digital strategies for schools. This video is available for you to watch now at educationonfire.com forward slash blog, which I really hope gives you a taster of some of the amazing content that was available as part of that Primary Education Summit. That's educationonfire.com forward slash blog. Hello, my name is Mark Taylor and welcome to the Education on Fire podcast. The place for creative and inspiring learning from around the world. Listen to teachers, parents and mentors share how they are supporting children to live their best authentic life and are proving to be a guiding light to us all. Hello, welcome back to the Education on Fire podcast. It's great to be with you again and just share some of these amazing stories that I'm having with my guests. It's such a pleasure to have these conversations, which I then get to share with you and also for them to you to share with other people. It really is just an honour to, to be able to do this for you all. Now, today is a fantastic conversation with Jessica Lander, and she's an award-winning teacher, writer and author. She teaches history and civics to recent immigrant students in a Massachusetts public high school and has won numerous awards for her teaching, including being named a top 50 finalist for the Global Teacher Prize in 2021, presented by the Varkey Foundation. Jessica writes frequently about education policy and teaching, and she's the author of Making Americans, Stories of Historic Struggles, New Ideas and Inspiration in Immigrant Education a co-author of Powerful Partnerships, a teacher's guide to engaging families for student success, and the author of Driving Backwards. Now, after my conversation with Jessica, I literally was so inspired and just thought the opportunities that are out there for students, no matter what their background, are just amazing when you have people like this in our classroom. So I really hope you enjoy this conversation with Jessica Lander. Hi, Jessica. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Education on Fire podcast. The thing I love most about the podcast is we get to chat to so many different people and it's great to chat to people who are in school, literally in school, because I can see that you're already in your classroom and been able to chat from that sort of inside out as well as people bringing resources and organisations supporting education as well. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me this morning. So let's start with exactly where do you live? What school are you work? What type of things you're teaching? And, and give us that sort of um, colorful background of where you are. Sure. Um, so I um, am a teacher in Lowell, Massachusetts, um, in the USA. And I teach at Lowell High School. It's a, a large city high school. We have about 3,400 students. And I teach all recent immigrant and refugee students. Um, I teach history and civics. And my students come from about 30 different countries, from Colombia to the Democratic Republic of the Congo to Cambodia. Um, and so in my class, I'm teaching US history and then um, civics and becoming civically engaged in our communities. Amazing. So tell us, how did you get involved in that? Where was that sort of inspiration and that path into, into what you're doing today? Uh, so the, the short, long story is that um, over a decade ago, I first became excited and interested in education policy and wanted to be in the classroom for a, a few years because I thought it was important that if I was going to go into ed policy that I had ex real experience in the classroom. And so after college, I lived and worked in Northern Thailand um, at Chiang Mai University and was a teacher there. And I so vividly remember my last day um, after my last class and 
being just so, so sad that I would never see those students again in the, the context of the classroom we had created and realizing then that I, I couldn't leave the classroom. Um, and so where originally it was going to be a year, maybe two, went back to the classroom, came back to the United States, taught in the U.S. at sixth grade, then went back overseas and taught in Cambodia, um, working with uh, just amazing college women in the capital city of Phnom Penh. And then um, was in a, a range of different classrooms and settings back in the U.S., um, went to grad school for education policy, but still felt that I needed to be back in the classroom some more and found my way to Lowell um, back in 2015. And my students here are just extraordinary humans. Um, they're really, really wonderful, wonderful people who bring so many strengths and creativity uh, and energy to our classroom. And it has just been such a joy and inspiration to work with them. And I have been here ever since. And I loved what you said there about leaving the classroom that you'd collectively created. I love that because that that sense of it is everybody's home. It's everyone's classroom. It's their all learning experience. And I think that really sort of gives the environment a completely different feeling, doesn't it, than coming into a teacher's classroom or, or that kind of thing. It really does. I mean, I think... I, I'm so lucky that my students are willing to engage and create that classroom together. And I, I think those make for the most powerful classrooms that I'm, my hope as an educator is I am creating a space with my students where they feel a strong sense of belonging, where they feel they can come in and grow together, take academic risks, but also build friendships that extend outside the classroom that they feel that they are um, comfortable to come to me if they are challenging with uh, struggling with a, a relationship um, outside of the classroom with a friend relationship with a, a family member and they want to talk it through that this feels like a place that they'll support them and um, where they can grow and learn and get advice and get support and share too, um, share and support others and that can only happen if we are co-creating that space together. And do you find that easier because, like, say, of the large diversity? There are so many people coming from so many different backgrounds, so many different sort of norms, as it were, with inverted commas, that everybody can sort of share in the in the in the in commonality, if that kind of makes sense. Yeah, no, that's a beautiful way of describing that. Um, I I think there's such a, a power in my classroom because I have students from across the globe and just watching uh, these friendships that span borders and span countries is so beautiful because my students have so much to share with each other in terms of the knowledge they bring to our classroom, having lived in multiple countries and experienced different political systems. Um, many of my students, their uh, young adults, um, have stepped into the role of adults for a long time. Um, and so they're bringing their maturity, those experiences, and they're sharing them both in the, the academic work we do in class um, as we grapple with history and then with each other as they can support each other in different ways as they're growing as young people and building their identities as adults. And we just have such a wealth of knowledge and skills and experience in this classroom because I have students from all around the world. And so you mentioned at the beginning in terms of you know your diversity in terms of different places that you've worked different countries that you've you've obviously been in um 
tell us a little bit about how that sort of then influenced one how you sort of set your classroom up in terms of what you're trying to achieve both within history and and like I say within that environment and also how that sort of gone into into your writing and, and the other sort of things you've done sort of outside of the classroom as well yeah so um I, I think it is, it's, I mean, it's deeply impacted my work in so many ways, but particularly, as you mentioned in my writing. Um, so I have had the honor, as I was saying, to work with these amazing students since 2015 and Lowell High. And they do incredible things in the classroom and outside of the classroom. Um, so we're not just learning and asking hard questions and grappling with history here in our classroom they're having an impact outside. And I'll take an example of one project that we're just finishing up this week. Um, at the end of our study of immigration, we study the history of immigration from 100 years ago. We end with a project that I've created called the Tasting History Project. Because of course, no a study of immigration is complete in my classroom without studying my own students' history, because they're of course experts. And so we do this through uh, the lens of food. And my students use a favorite family recipe. And they go home to a family member. And that could be calling up, say, a grandfather in Brazil or texting an aunt in Cambodia. And they get that favorite family recipe. And they translate that recipe. And they bring it into our class. And we write and we edit and we write and we edit. And then they tell a story of that food, their memories, their, that connection to culture, or maybe it's a holiday. They talk about their memories when they first had it or when they first cooked it, and then about their migrations here. And they write that and we publish a cookbook we then share in the community so that they are teachers in our community. Um, that's just one project we're finishing up right now. We'll go on to tackle writing op-eds in a few weeks, and they will choose a topic that they care deeply about in our community, research it, uh, think about and research policy solutions, and then write that into a compelling creative op-ed, some of which will be published in the local city newspaper. And we'll work together in the spring on community challenges as a whole class, working with policymakers and community organizations to create real systemic change, um, whether it's addressing food insecurity or creating safer homes and communities. And all of the work that I do in my classroom and working with my students is just so deeply inspiring. And it led me about three years ago now to really wonder how we could create schools to better support immigrant students. Um, how can we ensure that our schools are seeing all the strengths of our immigrant students, are valuing their voices, are making communities where they feel safe and where they feel that they're accepted for all their many identities. And it led me to set out to write a book. And so I actually took a year off from the classroom um, and from teaching to travel across the country to sit in the classrooms of others to learn from them about how we could better support immigrant students. Here in the US, one in four uh, children in the K-12 system are immigrants or the children of immigrants. Um, and so this is something that I think is important for every school in the US and, and so many schools across the world who have um, immigrant students to be thinking about thoughtfully and intentionally of how we make um, really supportive, welcoming communities in our schools. And so set out across the country to sit in just really amazing, innovative classrooms and talk with teachers and also talk with students um, 
to get a better sense of how we could reimagine immigrant education. And all of that came from the work that I see in my classroom and just how inspired I am by my uh, by the young people I work with every day. And I think for me, just listening to you, you chat about that is we talk a lot about, you know, how could the education system change? You know, if we had a magic wand, what would it look like tomorrow? And I think what you've demonstrated so beautifully there is the fact that a lot of it is about ethos and understanding and practices, but it gives you the flexibility to make it very personal to the situation that you're in. Because as you were sort of saying about the idea of, of food, the idea of talking to um, the community, whether it's your family or grandparents or whether it's people from the other side of the world, that's that's the same for any child you know they, everyone's got memories like that you can put all of that into practice in the same way but the actual result of what you're creating there is very personal to every single person and like I say will be very different in a school in a different part of the US or even here in the UK but the practice of how it is and the understanding of what you're trying to do and the fact that you're then taking that back into the community so not only are you bringing that in you're doing all the learning experiences that they're all getting but then you're taking a foot back into the community to like you say share the recipe books to to have the idea of policy as well that's something which is completely different than we're now in our classroom learning what we're going to do there'll be a test in the next semester and then we'll move on to something else I mean it's just that ethos is very different but I love the fact that it's happening now it's not like oh if someone could just say this needs to change it's like and then that's what I love about the podcast so much it's just hearing all of these things and I think the idea of community in its broadest sense how we're relating together, how we're relating to our family, how we're relating to people working outside of the school within the community at large. It's so great to hear that that's up and running already and how people can actually hear how they can sort of take a step in that direction themselves. No, I think there are, there are just so many teachers in our community that maybe we don't identify as teachers. So I, I see my students as teachers in our community um, in the work they're doing to, say, publish books or op-eds or create community change. And I I see the the power of teachers being teachers to teachers. I think so often teaching is so isolating. And one of the most exhilarating things I found as a, a teacher going out to learn from others writing this book was that I, while I was taking notes for my book, I was also taking notes separately for my classroom to be able to go, ooh, I, I like that idea. Um, how can I bring that back to my classroom? And so it was sort of these two creational uh, threads of one thinking about the larger picture of how we reimagine education, uh, immigrant education for the book I was writing. And then also, how do I learn from all these ideas? I, so rarely do we get to sit in the classrooms of others. Um, and so being able to draw on that and bring it back to my own classroom, which also, of course, then helps me think about how do we take these ideas and share them uh, at a broader scale across the country. Um, because I think there's so much I learned from traveling the country and visiting the schools. I'm happy to talk about these just really amazing schools um, that we can draw on and learn from. And it's really about how do we create opportunities, say like here on your podcast, um, where we get to share ideas and make connections. Um, and I think I saw such a hunger across the country for educators wanting to learn from each other. And yet there are few opportunities for that to happen in uh, the ways that they really needed. And I, I think there are not enough opportunities for us to learn from young people. So one third of the book I wrote, Making Americans, um, 
is about the stories of some of my young people who share their experiences of coming to the country and their experience of our schools. And if we're serious about reimagining our schools, we have to talk to them. We have to see them as teachers because they're the ones experiencing our schools. And so how do we learn from their experiences to create schools where they can really thrive? And that's really is music to my ears, literally, because that's really why I started the podcast, because I was hearing great things that are happening in schools, but not necessarily seeing that in the media in the same kind of way. And also because um, I knew there were there were members of staff who were chatting to me when I was going in doing music workshops, who were just, they got into the profession, they just wanted to make change, they wanted to be inspirational, but they might not have been getting it within the four walls of, of, of their school. And I thought, but I've seen this other amazing stuff over here. And if I could just share that and do that, then, then, you know, you can call it CPD, you can call it inspiration, you can call it whatever you like. But basically, if they hear something which they can use, then brilliant. Even if it's something which is slightly out of their remit, at least they can turn around and say to their principals or senior leadership that this is happening somewhere else. Can we at least open that door, have that conversation? And then all of a sudden, you, like you say, you've got the experience of learning from a whole globe of people which you can then bring in and and I think the other thing which I I found really fascinating as you're as you were sort of sharing this and I'm sure people can I can see it on the screen but people can hear it in your voice as well is that enthusiasm for being able to not now I've got my classroom sorted and I know what my projects are and this is great but that enthusiasm of where can I take it next how can it grow how can we share that and I think that becomes infectious as well and I think that's so important within the education system because we're so sort of tied often to it has to look a certain way and I'm doing the right things and I've ticked the right boxes now but to shed all of that to be able to think ah there's a new way here I can step into that and this is going to be fantastic and I can understand why because I've heard it that's really really exciting yeah, no, it's it's so um, it's so exciting for me to be able to both help my students share their their knowledge and their experience and all they have to teach us, and also to be able to now be talking about and sharing the ideas uh, across the country. So I'll, I'll share a couple of them just because they're really cool, and it gets to that idea that you just spoke of of like there is really creative ideas and solutions out there. And it's really about finding those and learning from them. So uh, briefly, my book, Making American Stories of Historic Struggle, New Ideas and Inspiration in Immigrant Education, has three threads to it, um, three types of stories. There are eight stories of the past, because I think it's essential for us to be looking at the historic laws and cases that have transformed our schools. There are seven stories of the present, um, which are innovative, creative solutions happening today in schools across the country. And then there are seven stories of the personal, which of course are what I talked about slightly earlier of these stories of seven of my extraordinary young people. And I think if we're thinking about reimagining immigrant education, or really any education, we need to look at the past, the present, and the personal. But to share just a few of these really cool ideas in the present, um, there is a, a school in Georgia, um, uh, uh, right outside Atlanta, Georgia, that is dedicated to refugee girls who have spent a long time out of school. Because if you are a young person who has not had a chance at formal schooling, you're 16, you arrive in the US, you are likely put in high school in 11th or 10th grade. And 
that's going to be really hard to succeed if you have never had the opportunity to go to formal schooling and suddenly you're in the midst of a high school in a country that is new to you, in a, a language that is new to you. And so what this school does is it recognizes that and it's created this program um, for just refugee girls who've spent a long time outside of school. And it is uh, a, both a flexible and an accelerated program that is recognizing that some of their students are going to come in and need kindergarten level material, and some might be at third grade, and they might be at different levels for maths or English or science. And it has a three-year program where students move throughout it at their pace, but it also has a program that has gathered around it a group of about 100 volunteers of uh, elders from the community who come in and work one-on-one -on -one with students so that they're getting that practice and that one-on-one -on -one support every single day. And at the same time, too, which I, what I find so beautiful about this school is the ways in which it recognizes uh, these students' maturity as young adults that I think too often our materials, say for kindergarten or for first or second grade, are geared at kids who are more traditionally those ages. And yet if you're a 16-year-old learning kindergarten material, you want it to be material that recognizes your maturity and doesn't make you feel like a a five-year-old or a six-year-old. And so this school does that. And it recognizes and celebrates and honors the maturity as young adults, having lived and had the responsibility of adults for many years, while also giving them the supports they need to catch up in their formal academic education with the supports of all of these elders where they can practice a lot, but maybe not feel as embarrassed as they would if they're making mistakes in a new language in front of their um, age mates, which is I mean, I remember this from my own learning another language of how embarrassing that is and how frightening that is. And so it's just created this beautiful small community just for this, this particular community of students and learners. There is uh, another school in Colorado, in the middle of the country, where it's actually it's five schools that have come together to create a community school model. And so rather than having these buildings that sit there, they maybe open at 7 a.m. and close at 3 a.m., then they sit empty for much of the day, they have re-envisioned these schools to be community hubs, vibrant community hubs that are open from sunrise to sunset. And they've drawn on, we were talking earlier about sort of the strengths of the community around us and all the teachers in our community, they've drawn on the local hospital and the local businesses and the local nonprofits, and they're connecting all of the many resources, the human resources in their community, groups of parents, um, to come together and collaborate together to support students. Um, and so really seeing these as community hubs. And I'll give you just one more. Um, there is a school district in North Carolina where the department, the um, district EL teams, the, the district team that works with immigrant origin students, with students still mastering English, had done some really innovative, creative, small uh, experiments and approaches over about a decade plus. And some worked and some didn't, and they kept experimenting, and kept trying, but they weren't satisfied. And then they found a, a new approach to thinking about academic language and complex language that so often 
when students are mastering a new language, um, there might be a, a propensity to simplify the language, um, to teach in a more simplified way. And what this approach did said, no, let's actually, let's teach complex language because students are going to need to know complex language to succeed in high school or in college or in the workforce. And so let's think about how to break down that language and play with that language and give students the, the skills they need to master complex, rich, juicy sentences from their first months in the U.S. And then what this district team did was go, how do we how do we scale this across the entire district of 126 schools where one school has all recent immigrant and refugee students and maybe another school has five students still mastering English and summer schools are rural, some are suburban, some are urban. How do we make sure we are supporting teachers in reimagining literacy instruction across an entire district? And then they set about doing it. And that looked like so many different things from group PD every week or every month to driving out to individual classrooms when a teacher was struggling and say, I will model a lesson for you or I'll co-teach a lesson for you. Or if you are struggling to find materials with rich sentences, I will go help find them with you. Let me talk you through this. How can I support you? Traveling around the district and sort of to our point earlier of there is excellence out there taking pictures from all the classrooms where they saw really powerful examples and models of excellence and then sharing those across the country so that teachers could learn from each other even if they weren't all in the same school and very very soon after they saw test scores shoot up in writing and reading and math and science and it's just really inspiring the work they're doing and just rethinking instruction at such a scale um, and then there's a school down in Texas. I'm looking at a corner of my classroom right now where I've taken an idea from that school. There's a school in Texas in Houston called the Las Americas School. And they are a school dedicated for children who are just one year in the country. And one of the powerful things they do is the work they do around trauma therapy and trauma-sensitive approaches to education. and just briefly, I'll tell you the story of a, a little boy they had who had recently come to the country and his journey, his migration had been very traumatic and he couldn't be in school. He was so, so upset um, and was not ready to learn. And it was partially because he was missing his younger brother, who was the the person that he took care of he was his responsibility and his younger brother was still back home in his home country with his grandparents and he was so deeply upset and missing home and missing his brother and nothing the teachers could do could get him to stay in the classroom or focus on learning and finally one day one of his teachers suggested well will you be our caterpillar manager they had caterpillars in the classroom. Will you take care of the caterpillars and make sure they're fed and clean up their poop? And he agreed. And he stayed in the classroom for maybe a couple minutes at first, and then maybe an hour, and then maybe a couple hours, and then whole days. And this got him into the classroom and ready to learn. And from that, uh, teachers and one of the social workers at the school came up with the idea of this garden. 
and they planted a garden outside in the walkways of their school that was filled with herbaceous plants from all around the world that their kids would recognize. And this became a place where kids and teachers could go if kids were feeling angry or upset or lonely or missing home. And they could sit and they could garden or they could sit and just smell the leaves. And this also then created opportunities for conversations as they maybe replanted a bougainvillea plant. They could talk about how hard it is to uproot a plant and replant it somewhere else. And they could talk about migration and how hard it is to move to a new country and create a new home. Or they might be uh, taking care of and cultivating and picking tomato plants in this garden. And that would lead to conversations about grandma back home who plants similar uh, tomatoes. And this garden was just one example, a beautiful example of a way to support students who are, are struggling with many different uh, events in their life um, and creating opportunities for them to process, to maybe talk about them. Um, and I said earlier that I was looking over at the um, corner of my classroom, sitting in my classroom right now, um, one thing that was really powerful in addition to writing this book and sharing these stories was also how it affected my own teaching. And so I actually have over in the corner of my classroom now uh, a little garden full of herbs from around the world that is trying to, in a small way, replicate some of the powerful things I saw at that school in Texas. Those are and, just a few of them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and they're amazing. And, and I love the diversity of them as well. That's the thing. And, and I think I come back to this so often is that we talk about sort of wholesale change of education and and i think we sort of encapsulated today a sense of you can do that but it happens in a personal way because at the essence of everything we need to make sure that children are are seen they're heard they're they're in a state um and a willingness to learn and so the rest of it becomes irrelevant and that's where the idea of you need to be at this grade at this age like i said it doesn't make any sense and you know like you said about the you know the refugee school that's a whole different way of having experienced life to whatever age so having a traditional setting just doesn't work in that scenario it has to be personalized learning and i think when we sort of start with personalized learning for everybody then you start to find out what those things are so you know the refugee school wouldn't necessarily work in a, in a different environment but you can find what you need, hopefully. I think if you're looking and you're hearing and you're talking and you're sort of sharing these ideas, you can find what works for you in your area. Or if you want to start something, you can find out what the need is for different people because it might be men who are refugees who, who have cut in that same style rather than women, you know, that kind of thing, whatever it happens to be. And, you know, that's a massive change, but it's very personal to that particular situation. And I think that's something always to remember that you can only do what you can do with the people that you're affecting in the sort of the here and now. And it happens to be that we're having this very personal conversation just with me and you, but with many people around the world and many, many, hopefully thousands of listeners who are going to go, what a great idea. I, I've, that, I haven't even thought about that or or even can I not get some time off and actually go and sit in someone's class, whether it's down the hall or whether it's in a different state or a different district or, or a different country, suddenly your world opens up. And I think that then becomes very exciting. And that then gives you the, the way to think tomorrow is another day and I can do this differently. And that kind of gives you the, the momentum you need to, 
to change what the experience is for everyone that you come into contact with. I think that's probably the best way to put it. No, I think that's exactly right. And that's how I've been thinking about it is that there's never going to be one model that works for all schools. I think about my school where I have students from 30 different countries speaking 15 plus languages. And one of the other schools I profile in my book is a school that's actually 15 minutes away from me. And it's a really powerful program for kids new to the country. And it's like a school within a school. Um, but their students are almost all from one country and share one common language. And so some of the strategies that are going to work there will be the same in both of our schools. But some of the strategies, because they have that shared language, will be very different. And we're 15 minutes apart. But it's really about those nuggets of ideas and being able to learn from other schools. And as you said, can I go sit in in a school in another uh, district or another state or another country to bring back ideas? And I think for me, it's been really powerful to, to learn from all these schools and then try to condense down. So the last chapter of my book shares ideas about pedagogy and policy and practice about what are some of those lessons we can take from these amazing educators, from these extraordinary young people, from these stories of history that are, oh, they're just such powerful stories of history that are not often told. And that all of this comes down for me to how do we create schools that nurture a strong sense of belonging? Because if students feel that they belong in schools and in communities and in a country, that that gives them such a foundation to build a life and to thrive. And so as I, as I talk to educators and young people and organizers and people at the heart of historical cases, it was really about understanding what are those elements of belonging. And for me, it comes down to eight elements from opportunities for new beginnings to supportive communities, to assurances of security, to chances to dream, to committed advocates, to recognition of students' strengths and assets, acceptance for who students are and where they come from, and finally, opportunities for students to develop their voices and valuing those voices. And if schools can do that, can ensure these eight elements, I, I think we will be able to create schools that are going to be places that nurture that sense of belonging. And as you said, it will look different in each school based on the community that surrounds your school and makes your communities and your schools vibrant. But at its heart, it is, I think, about belonging and about those eight elements of belonging. I think that's incredibly true. And I think what is also important for those people who are very data driven <laughs> and we know that, that there are people responsible for many things is that i think those those fearless teachers those fearless leaders those people who just understand it's the human element which is at the heart of what we're doing as you said when you put these things into practice if the test scores are important to you as a school for funding for um making sure the right people are saying yes i'm covering what i meant to it happens anyway because you've set everything up of course you're going to read better of course you're going to be better at what you want to study of course you're going to put more time in because you're thriving to improve yourself for yourself not for somebody else and, and so it becomes a no-brainer but it, it, i think that leap of faith that fear fearlessness i think is is where it starts from 
Yeah, no, absolutely. And so I think it's really helpful then to have ideas from others across the country who are doing it, who are seeing success, because you're right. It's not necessarily the case that if I said, oh, I want to go build a garden, that I can immediately say how that's going to translate into test scores. Um, but when I see it in practice, I, I very like, deeply, viscerally understand how important it is for those students in making sure they have the space, uh, the mental space um, to learn um, and to grow. And so it's having those examples and it's building connections. I mean, I think, and I talked about this earlier, there's such a hunger to learn from each other. And I found as I was traveling the country, visiting schools and talking to teachers is they just so wanted to learn from each other. And so often their work was not known outside of maybe their district or their state. And I would be talking to one school that's doing powerful things in one aspect of education, but struggling with something else. And they um, would be talking about this. I'd be like, but I just was at a school last week that was doing really powerful work on this. Can I connect you to? And they'd be like, yes, yes, can we do that? Um, and so I, my hope is that we can be creating these communities that connect teachers and not just teachers because it's also policymakers, it's also researchers, it's also people in communities in the nonprofit space, in the business space, it's creating opportunities to learn from our young people. But how do we create these communities where we can share best practice, where we can grapple with challenges together on an ongoing basis. Um, and so my hope is uh, that my book can be part of that conversation and part of creating those conversations, whether it be here in the US or in any other country working to support newcomers, um, that we've so much to learn from each other and we need more opportunities to be able to learn from each other. And I think also to be excited about the prospect as well, because it's very easy to be downtrodden in so many ways. And I think, and that's why I loved what you did with the book. It's why I love these conversations because it just brings all of that to the fore because, you know, you're literally about to start your first class of the day. You know, if I was about to start my first class of the day, I'm going to start that day in a completely different way than if I've just been worrying about my commute on the way in, because it may be, I've been commuting, but I've listened to this on the podcast or, you know, like you say, you've had these conversations and then it just changes changes everything and it's it's the continuation of those things and the regular conversations and like I say the regular connections which makes a big difference and just as we start to round up obviously the acronym FIRE is really important for us here at Education on Fire and by that we mean feedback, inspiration, resilience and empowerment. What's the thing that just strikes you when you first hear those? Ooh, um, well so feedback is um, for me constantly connecting with those I'm working with and being able to learn from them. Hearing from them, learning from them, and then being able to co-create with them. Um, and that's how I will be better as a teacher. Um, that's how I will be able to better support their learning. Um, you said inspiration and empowerment. Um, the the heart of my book and the heart of the work I do is my working with these just amazing young people. And so I, I think of the the seven students who so generously shared their stories 
so that I could learn from them first. I sat with each of them for many, many hours as they told me their stories of coming to this country and their experience of our schools. And then just their the generosity in sharing that so that we can learn from them. And they are just extraordinary young people who have made homes and communities here, who've gone out to create change in our community, um, who are building connections with each other. And this is why I do the work is because I'm inspired by my students. Um, and I think to that last point of empowerment of they are, this is co-creation. They are really the ones shaping their identities here. And um, they are doing such powerful things. And so I think it's watching them. Um, it, it's not uh, necessarily that anyone is empowering them. They are empowering themselves. Um, but it's how do you create communities that allow them that space to do that? Um, and I watch them in all the big and small ways. So from a, a student who's helping to be a cultural and linguistic translator for their families and looking through papers and navigating government documents to uh, a student of mine who sits on a, a action civics board nationally working to help ensure that young people are getting civically engaged in their communities. Um, they are so, so inspiring and powerful and just bring such vibrancy to our community. And I, oh, it is such an honor to work with my students. Um, and so I, I think about those, those words you shared and I, I think about the young people I get to work with every day. Yeah, I love that. And I think that idea of co-creation, both in, in the immediateness of the environment and also like I say, through the book, through through the conversations that we're having. So just finish off by telling people where they can find out more, how they can get involved with you and, and also the book. Absolutely. So um, my book, again, is uh, Making American Stories of Historic Struggle, New Ideas and Inspiration in Immigrant Education. I really hope people will check out the book. It is available on Amazon and on all of the, the other platforms and bookstores. Um, it is an audiobook form and hard book form and uh, a e-form. Um, so I, I hope you'll read the book and learn more about these ideas that um, we have talked about, uh, about these schools. Uh, and you can also learn more about my work um, on my website, jessicalander.com, where it's mostly about my kiddos um, and sharing stories of the work they do. Um, you can also follow me on Twitter, Jessica underscore Lander. Um, and I hope that you'll connect. There's a way to um, email me on my website. And as I was talking about with you earlier, um, really the, this work that I'm excited about is how do we take these stories and build community? And so that last chapter of my book is sharing uh, version 1.0 of ideas from teachers and educate and uh, other educators and students and policymakers and researchers. And it's a, it's a first draft. And I know there are going to be second, third, fourth, fifth drafts. And so my hope is for those who are listening is that you will help co-create the next draft of these ideas about how we reimagine immigrant education. And so I hope that you'll you'll read the book and you'll reach out with your ideas and the work that you're doing so that we can learn from you and be part of this collaborative work um, that together we can reimagine our schools. 
Fantastic. Well, Jessica, thank you so much for sharing your story and the inspiration and the co-creation, which I think is such a, a powerful thing and, and empowering for, for everybody. So, yeah, thank you so much for your time. And um, I really appreciate everything that you shared with us today. Well, thank you so much. It was such a pleasure to talk with you. And thank you for the work you're doing. Thank you for sharing ideas and voices with so many um, and for just having these conversations about education. It's really, really important. So I just really appreciate the, the time to talk with you and to talk education and ideas. Thank you for listening and being part of this wonderful community. With over 300 episodes, I've collated 20 resources from guests that have been on the show to help you in your educational journey and those of you involved with young people. Just go to educationonfire.com and you can sign up on the homepage. Thanks for listening to the Education on Fire podcast. For more information of each episode and to get in touch, go to educationonfire.com. Education is not the filling of a pail, but the lighting of a fire.